Welcome back to Whiteout Weekly. As as always, I'm Dave Barron here with my lovely co-host, Maddie Martellucci. After our sixth straight glorious victory, six oh, straight. Oh, by the way, first no. episode, no slang. Woo! Let's go, first baby. Episode. Don't have full mobility, but no slang. First episode. Could hold road up to six. Road to recovery is off and running. <laughs> Let's yep. go. So, I stand corrected. Six straight victory week. Uh, we got a new map, no sling. And, most importantly, Matt, sixth straight victory for the Cover Kings. As Unreal. Unreal. 42 was, and a half. We didn't think it would happen, but it did. As it was a rainy homecoming bloodbath. For those poor Minutemen of UMass who still did collect their game check, their million-dollar check for mm-hmm. making the trek down the Northeast Corridor to Happy Valley to get their butts absolutely whooped, 63 to nothing. Put up a better fight than Delaware, that's for sure. That is for damn sure. Uh, some interesting nuances in this game, I think first and foremost, was the coming out party for Big Play Day Day. Oh, for sure. Hardy, who had two punt returns for touchdowns. And I think that's something that we've been waiting for this year is some sort of explosion in the kick return game or punt return game. And we got it got in the punt return game with Daquan Hardy and then even Caden Saunders. I think he took that a little personally. He doesn't want what that was, job swiped away. What was the reason behind that? Just Caden Saunders not being effective or just switching so, up? From what I gathered, uh, Daquan Hardy was someone that they were looking at in all of camp as a potential return man. Uh, Franklin stated that the competition was very close. So just like they do with kickers in all positions, uh, they they stat track everything. And the catch, uh, I guess, call it catch completion percentage uh, was just about equal. And they made the decision to go with Saunders. And had the opportunity to get Daquan some run in this game, and he took full advantage, man, full advantage. Yeah, surprised didn't if they had like if they were equal that they didn't switch it earlier if they were kind of you know disappointed in it. Yeah, in the power turn game, absolutely. And then, like I mentioned at the end of the game, I think Saunders took it a little personally as he had a nice little thirty-seven yard return himself, so not ready to give that job up just yet. And little interesting other nuance is we saw some deep shots from Drew Aller. Uh, yeah. One week removed from the the Corey Yager presser with James Franklin, where, again, didn't word that question uh, as, as most would have, uh, but definitely saw Drew take some shots down the field. Didn't really connect on any of them, but was interesting overthrew, to see just that. Just overthrew him, yeah. That was yeah, so, so but, but it was nice to see. So uh, I think overall, this was a pretty easily handed win, uh, as we expected. Uh, what did you get from last weekend, Matt? Um, so we saw the return of Trey Wallace. We've been mm-hmm. talking about a number two receiver for basically the entire season. First catch, a little, little tough. Uh, caught it, fumbled. They recovered, but ended up having... Three catches for 44 yards, and the announcers, if you're watching the game, were all over him talking about his potential. 
as a number two receiver. And then Theo Johnson, a quiet, quiet four catch, 66 yard, two touchdown game. So if Trey Wallace can produce as a number two and Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson can produce as red red zone threats, I I think we're fine in the passing game. I don't think we need a clear cut number two. I think we can work around those four or five components to create a lethal passing game. And I also want to shout out Cam Miller. He, like, Daquan Hardy was, like, playing with a user in Madden, basically. He was insane. (laughs) Just the punt returns. He also was the highest targeted secondary player. Five targets his way. He allowed one catch for negative one yard. <laughs> so that counts as a defensive stop. Um, he had a solo tackle and a team high 32 defensive snaps. But Cam Miller also was a wrecking ball. He had two pressures, got to the quarterback twice, two sacks, had three defensive stops, and was also part of that lockdown U that held the Minutemen to 45, 46 yards, I think it was, in the 40s. Mm-hmm. He allowed one catch on three targets for zero yards. So shout out Cam Miller. And then one final stat, we are now, we've now outscored opponents 66 and nothing in the third quarter. Which is a great sign because we're that means coaches are making halftime adjustments to what they're seeing on the defense, on their offense, and we're running different schemes and different strategies to score points and stop them. Yeah, I think a lot's to be said. We looked over the last couple of years. I know obviously we're gonna get into the matchup that's that's upon us this weekend, but some folks are saying, hey, this team hasn't been tested yet. They haven't really had to face adversity, but we've also never really been in this position. So there's been plenty of times where we've head into the big game with Ohio State or Michigan. Yes, we haven't been able to come out of there with a win and definitely not go through a season where we're able to, to get both of those games. But we've never really been in a position where we're going in this game where we've just absolutely obliterated every single team that we've played. So, yes, they haven't been in situations that they may find themselves in on Saturday where you have to go down the field and get a score to kind of lift some pressure off the defense. But also definitely never seen this where the defense is just so absolutely dominant. They're taking care of the football on the offensive side of the ball. Drew was still no turnovers, which is, I think, a stat that's still – we, it gets talked about, but I think the magnitude of it still gets glossed over. The fact that first-year starting quarterback still has zero turnovers. Unreal. 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 And, yeah, the, like I said, that we're just in a position where everyone that's come into this team's path has just been obliterated. We've never really been in that spot where we've truly taken care of business when they should have been. So that's that's also a reason for confidence heading into this weekend, although that this game is always scary. But it's just – uncharted waters for this team and it's 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 an exciting thing it's an exciting place to be in so every week whether it's you know jake butt whoever's calling the game 
it seems that they refer to the line. You have to look like when the Lions start blowing out their opponent. You have to look at this game through the lens of Penn State playing Michigan and Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And here we are. But first, very quickly, we're going to go around the trenches, a.k.a. around the Big Ten. Trenches on three. One, two, three. Got regular gas. We run diesel premium only. The hot, hot. Voice crack on the snap. Personal foul. 69. Offense. He was giving them the business. He played it there. It was a five-game slate on Saturday with three divisional matchups. Indiana, Michigan State, and of course Penn State were on bye weeks. Dave, let's start with my favorite, the Battle of the Big Ten West Swamp, Iowa. Heads into Madison. Jumps around Wisconsin 15-7 in the most stereotypical Big Ten West game possible, as is tradition. That's the way that game should have been played. When you think the score can't get any lower... Iowa says, <laughs> hold my beer, watch this. <laughs> uh, I forget what it was. I think it was... I think it was like 36. It's ridiculous. Unfortunately, the Badgers starting quarterback, Tanner Mordecai, broke his hand and requires surgery, which is going to probably put an end to his season. Sort of sucks as that Offense was kind of somewhat finding a rhythm with him behind center. And also sucks because you had Cade McNamara go out for the season the week before. So, you know, wasn't both teams true lineups. But Wisconsin started their backup, Braden Locke, freshman. And I'll pay you $10 if you can spell Braden the way he spells it. Not even to give that a shot. B R A E D Y N, Braden. He had a rough go. Um, I'll send you the clip. He got demolished like a Jack Tuttle demolishing on a sack for safety. Fumbles in the end zone. Iowa picked it up for the safety. And then he also had. Another fumble while escaping pressure and attempting to throw the ball. That led to an Iowa field goal. Final stats are him, 15 of 30 for 122 yards and that game-clinching interception. Um, Some fun facts about that game. You know I love my Big Ten West fun facts. Iowa backup quarterback filling in for K. Deacon Hill through 14 times. He was 6 of 14 for 37 yards. No joke. That's a 3.2 QBR. That was in the uh, There were six punts by both teams in the first half. Also in the script. <laughs> Iowa did have an 82-yard rushing touchdown. But if you take that away, both teams totaled 213 yards and two turnovers on downs. And 
really weird situation. So Wisconsin's first drive, they get the ball on their own six. Going 11 play, 83-yard drive, commit a false start on third and one, and then Braylon Allen gets stuffed on fourth and one for a loss of three at the 13-yard line. So first drive, you know it's going to be a low-scoring game, and they go for it on fourth. It was third and five. They get the fourth and one. They go for it and they're kicking the field goal. Done by them, and they're done biting them in the butt, if you think about it. But then Iowa, weird situation, <laughs> turn it for on downs in the first half on a fourth and three call after they try to trick the Wisconsin defense on the jet sweep with Rico Ragiani. I think I said that right. And he lost six yards at the Wisconsin 32-yard line. So I don't know if they didn't have faith in their kicker, but they tried the uh, trick play on fourth down, and we both know there's no tricks in the Big Ten West. You run the ball, you play defense, and that's how you do it. Hmm. But I guess hats off to those coordinators, you know, for their gutsy play calling and really opened up the offense in that one. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, that score, it was uh, 10 to 7 heading into the fourth quarter. 10 to 7. Do you want to bet the under? That's That's your dream. Uh, dream under. In all seriousness, though, Iowa's running back, LaShawn Williams, is a factor back. Rushing for 174 yards, had that 82 home run, touchdown run. And I noticed Wisconsin's number nine wide receiver, Bryson Green, he has hands. And it seemed every third down, every clutch play that they needed, they went his way. So currently, Hawkeyes to the top, the Big Ten West Swamp at six and one overall. Wisconsin falls to four and two. And the other five teams in the division don't have a record above 500, three and three and worse. Quite, quite the conundrum we find ourselves in for one more year. <laughs> The most shocking around the trenches, I would say, Illinois upsetting Maryland after we had hyped Maryland up basically every podcast. They beat them 27-24 on a 43-yard field goal as time expired after the Turfs hit a 48-yarder to tie it with a minute 31 left in the game. That's not two straight losses for the Turfs as they were held under 100 yards the first 100 rushing yards sorry for the first time all season against Illinois who had the worst rushing defense in the Big 10 coming into that game so some worries in Maryland there their offensive line is kind of a routine door and Talia has been really good at escaping sacks but got taken down 3 times season high against Illinois. And when he escapes and can't find receivers down the field, it's it's over. And on the other side of that game, Illinois looks like they got their guy in quarterback, Luke Altmeyer. He went 16 of 28 for 208 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, also had 29 rushing yards 
as a part of Illinois' 131 total on the ground. So from watching that game, I think I got the blueprint to beat Maryland. Get the pass rush going to get to Talia, rattle him, get him out of the pocket so he can't find his receivers down the field. And with that being said, Lockdown U needs to stay with their men when he escapes. And then finally, stop the run because they have a phenomenal run game. Mm-hmm. And we're out the swamp, I think. Yeah. For now. Pretty much. (laughs) So shifting gears over – well, actually, before we shift gears, I know typically we take this or keep this within the Big Ten, but wanted to give a quick shout-out to former Penn State QB Christian Bayou, who got his first start for the Pittsburgh Panthers this past weekend. Nice. And pulled off a big dub against then undefeated – Louisville Cardinals, it was 6-0. They threw for 200 yards, two touchdowns. It's a damn shame that Pat Narduzzi, well, we know Narduzzi's a bum, and he's got his beef with Franklin in the Penn State program, but it took him six yeah. games to realize that Bayou was the better quarterback. They finally moved on from former starter Phil Jerkovic, and Bayou in his first game gets the big, big home dub, and – Looked pretty damn good. So shout out to our guy Christian Bayou. That's a wild quarterback room. Jerkovic is like, what is it, seven, six, six year from he was from Boston College back. Hit their six year, I believe. Yeah. And then the Canadian sensation. Yeah. That's a yeah, that's a wild quarterback room. <laughs> Very wild. <laughs> so um, now I was gonna say just wanted to give that a quick shout out. So shifting gears back to the Big Ten East. So, starting with Rutgers, who had a big matchup against ailing Michigan State, was trailing in this one 24-6 in the third quarter, rallied to come all the way back, led by their running back, Kyle Monengai, mm-hmm. uh, who had a big game, 148 rushing yards, including the game, game-winning game 21-yard run on the first play of that game-clinching series. I saw a highlight. I didn't see the game. I saw a highlight though that he, that guy's got track speed. Yeah, definitely a game breaker in the backfield. Rutgers, they got they got something there. They got something brewing too. They got Shiano's got a little mojo rolling here. As they Rutgers do improve I mean, to five and two, and they got a tough slate coming up. But to be at this point in the season and to be at five and two, uh, looks looks pretty good for them. But like I said, that that. Closing slate is daunting. Mm-hmm. They got a matchup this weekend at Memorial Stadium against the Hoosiers. And then you got home against Ohio State at Iowa, at Penn State, home against Maryland. At Iowa doesn't look as bad with their, I mean, mm-hmm. they did just beat Wisconsin. So what am I saying? Wow. That's a belly of the beast. They're, they're now Jonah. Yeah, in the belly. So looking at that, just dissecting it, they're five and two down. right now. Yeah, so got to win against IU. That gets you bowl eligible, and it, depending on the rest of those games go, could turn a magical season into a eh, six and six campaign with tough one at Ohio State. Disaster. Kinnick's always tough. Obviously got us, and then that Maryland, who's also five and two. 
could be a toss up there at the end of the year. So this there could be a tale of two seasons for Rutgers here coming out. Got them six and two, six and three. At Iowa, six and three. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give it to him. Seven and three. Lose to Penn State, seven to four at home against the Terps. Ooh. I'll give it to him. Eight and eight and four, I think. I have mass. Oh, Shiano man. Getting them eight, back. Eight and four, I, seven and five. They're gonna I, they're gonna have a winning record. I think they'll be over six and six. I I think it I think it spirals out of control and they end up six and six. So we oh man, see. predicting a spiral. <laughs> Jeez, that's never good. <laughs> Voodoo hexing them right now. <laughs> so we shall see on that one. And then finally, uh, the top dogs in the Big Ten East, the class of the Big Ten, uh, Michigan, excluding us, excluding, excluding us, of course. Michigan, of course, which we'll get into with Matt's Big Ten betting bonanza woes, but they had a slow start up 21 to 7 at the end of the first half. So it didn't quite cover that first half spread. Opposite of what every other game had. Opposite. <laughs> yeah. Come on. But Michigan has slowly but surely turned a corner here as they gave me quite a bit of woes early in the year when I was banking on them to cover that spread. But now they got consecutive weeks with uh, covers against the spread. So they had 45 to 7 against Nebraska, 52 to 10 drubbing at Minnesota. And then this week, absolutely handling the Hoosiers 52 to 7. So they go from 0-3-1, and because I believe they pushed against Rutgers, to now 3-3-1 and against the spread. So Michigan, you know, we talk about it every episode, but they each week they seem to really be turning a quarter and finding a new way to show that they're they're for real and they're they're a juggernaut. I know obviously they went to the college football playoff last year. They won the Big Ten, got into the Big Ten title again two years in a row. But they just seem to be getting – better and better which is a very scary thing yeah we we've brought up a different aspect of their team every episode so far this season mm-hmm. but they yeah they just found a new way to surprise us and uh this week i think it was their tight end colston loveland mm-hmm. who went for 80 yards on three catches and a tutty and i think he's a sophomore he's a young guy right mm-hmm um, but guess who Michigan's backup quarterback is? Backup quarterback. I definitely did not see McCarthy go out of this game, so I would. I, mean, I thought he did because they were up so much. No, he cool. did. I'm just saying I didn't see it. Uh, I feel like there's one I should know. <laughs> I'll give you. You mentioned already in, in the podcast. Oh no! Is it our boy? It's Jack Tuttle, baby. <laughs> Let's go. He went five for five for 22 yards and a touchdown. I can't believe he's still around. I totally forgot back. he transferred. <laughs> yeah, shout out the uh, Arnold guy that hit. And he, he had another one, too. AK hit him. And then he had another huge blow. 
That's right. I forgot he was playing last year after announcing his intent to transfer. I totally forgot about that. That's amazing. I saw that. I was just like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. Huddle could potentially play against Penn State again. (laughs) Hey, at least he did right by him and got uh, got out of the swamp. So, lastly, the team that we've been waiting to face pretty much all year, Ohio State. They crushed Purdue, as they should have, 41-7. to For the makers, missed two field goals and didn't score a single point until the fourth quarter. All right, let's touch a single touchdown until the fourth quarter. Excuse me. Marvin Harrison Jr. went for over 100 yards in his fourth game out of six, and I believe the other two, he came out for a significant amount of time due to injury. So, got, I mean, everyone knows he's a stud, wide receiver number one in this year's draft class by far. But I say it every week, I did notice Purdue's running back, Devin Mockaby, went for 110 rushing yards on 10 carries, which is their third straight game of allowing a team to rush for over 100 yards. And over the last three weeks, they're allowing over 135 yards on the ground per game. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to the big game, noon on Fox, Penn State at Ohio State. It is going to be absolutely raucous there. Game day, I believe, is there. Mm-hmm. The spread is Ohio State minus four and a half. Mm-hmm. The over under is 45 and a half. Is that what you have? Yeah. So, weird fact about this this game mm-hmm. opens Ohio State minus 10. And now it's Ohio State minus four and a half. So that could be taking into consideration some of the injuries that Ohio State has been going through. I'm looking at the money totals now. 70% of bets are on Penn State and 79% of the money so far is on Penn State. And that's with over 22,000 bets. As of Wednesday night. So speaking of those injuries, Trevion Henderson, I read he fractured and tore a ligament in his foot. And Mm. he's going to require surgery, but his status is unclear. Mm. So that he's going to be shot up a, a lot of cortisol if that's the case. But Dave, who's up next? I've I've literally no idea who's up after him. Yeah, he's Travion's been banged up even last year, so he's struggled to stay healthy. Uh, Mayan Williams backup also banged up. I believe he missed that matchup against Purdue. Ryan Day. I thought they had I thought they had Mayan, but I did, I haven't seen him play at all this year. Yeah, uh, I believe Day Ryan Day said that he's hopeful that he'll be able to give it a go. Uh, so really you're looking at, so last week they ended up playing Dallas Hayden. 
who did carry the rock 11 times for 76 yards, had a touchdown. He believe is a fifth year senior, if I'm not mistaken, if not a, a standard four year senior. So hit, look for him and Xavier Johnson, who's gotten a little bit of run, but definitely a lot of injury concerns, not just at the running back position, really kind of all over the offense. You mentioned Harrison, who's been hobbled. I think even in the Notre Dame game, he's been dealing with a hobbled ankle that he continues to push through, but ends up getting a little bit more banged up each week. So that's definitely something to to keep note. But a lot of, lot of uncertainty in that backfield, which bodes well for for Penn State and trying to get after a uh, a young quarterback. And Harrison's uh, partner in crime, Emeka Egbuka, missed mm-hmm. a new game with an unspecified lower body injury, which he suffered in the Maryland game, and he's listed as questionable right now. Mm-hmm. But he's a sneaky, great compliment to Harrison Jr., but really elevates himself by mm-hmm. being like their go-to playmaker in some clutch situations. Mm-hmm. So even with him out, they still have Case Dover, mm-hmm. who's a mismatch at tight end. Uh, Loveland, the new other tight end. Um, so it's going to be Kalen King, Johnny Dixon, Daquan Hardy, Zaki Wheatley, all those safeties. Biggest test by far this season. And I'm going to say they're going to pass it. Not by flying colors, but they're going to pass it. Because so far this season, I've seen nothing but them just being receivers' hip pockets all game long. And one little fact, this year, Kalen King only been targeted 18 times with one pass breakup last year against Ohio State. He allowed five catches on seven targets for 93 yards. So watch out for that Kalen King versus Marvin Harrison Jr. matchup. Yeah, I think definitely one that he's probably had circled for quite some time. He got beat a couple times in that game by Marvin Harrison. So King's definitely proven his worth and stepped up in Joey Porter's absence this year. With him moving on to the NFL, he doesn't have the real gaudy numbers that would show it, but he's doing it in a much different way where he's eliminating half of the field where he's just not being targeted. So I think for him, obviously a huge matchup with him going up against Harrison and would love to see him just absolutely shut him down. There's not many. There hasn't been a corner in the country that's been able to. So with that in itself is a huge test. I think the Abuka injury lingering concern is huge because if he's unable to go, it would be interesting to see what Diaz's strategy is. Is Do you implement something where you have maybe some help from a safety or a linebacker to, to cut out the underneath or over the top with Harrison and force them to go to I know Stover's a a phenomenal tight end, so it's not you don't want him to say, "Hey, let Stover beat you." But they also have some younger guys back there who are a little bit more unproven. They got freshman Carnell Tate, 
who I believe had three catches about 80 yards last week. So he's he's got talent, but be interesting to see if Abuka can't go what that strategy is. I think even if Abuka can go, you've seen what we've gotten from Johnny Dixon this year and and Daquan Hardy and the nickel. So they have the options and the guys to be able to match up with these with these talented receivers. So that's seems obvious, but it's it's absolutely a key to this game is if they can keep that passing passing attack in check. Yeah, I think if we do bracket Harrison Jr., bring a safety over top mm-hmm. with Ken King on him, we got to have a prowler in there, mm-hmm. whether it be Kevin Winston Jr., Zaki, mm-hmm. um, maybe even L.A. Washington, just mm-hmm. to be in there to guard the uh, guard Kate Stover mm-hmm. on any kind of scene route or anything like that because he can break open a game. Yeah. But enough talk about how great Ohio State is, and let's talk about how we're going to win this game. Mm-hmm. Davey, what do you got for some mismatches in this game that I can bank on? I think the biggest mismatch is the the DNs and the production that we've seen week in and week out from Adisa Chop and Deny Dennis Sutton is we've talked about in the past, I think even the opener opening episode about how this could be a year where you have a transitioning quarterback at Ohio State where it's no longer Justin Fields, no longer CJ Stroud, it's Kyle McCord who's who's gotten better week over week, but especially on the offensive line. So Ohio State has it's it's no longer Paris Johnson out there. He's off to the NFL. And they got a couple of guys who have proven to be weak links in this line. So I think those DNs continuing to have the type of production that they've had, this isn't a huge moment for them to be able to do it on a big stage. So at right tackle, they got Josh Fryer and at left tackle, Josh Simmons. Simmons, I believe, is the transfer from San Diego State. And if I'm not mistaken, he led the nation in penalties last year and is very well on track this year. He's basically a holding penalty guarantee each and each and every week. (laughs) So I think using those guys on the edge to to force them into those situations where they either got they're getting by them or or they're holding them to continue to push the chains back, I think is the must-see matchup here and a real opportunity to keep the Buckeyes uh, behind the chains all day long. Very un-Ohio State-like, not mm-hmm. having a dominant offensive line. And I think it goes back to what we talked about last season, mm-hmm. where I forget which coach mentioned it. They're they're not recruiting from Michigan, Ohio, like those kind of blue blood areas they're kind of going to more elite blue blood areas like California, yeah. Florida, Texas, and not really getting the guys in their own state. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, yeah, that goes to show for it because the offensive tackles and offensive guards grow on trees in the Midwest. And they're especially not getting Drew Aller, the pride of Medina, Ohio, who left their territory. Come to Coming back, yeah. Tot- that went totally under the radar for me. Coming back <laughs> to Ohio to play Ohio State, he's gonna. <clears throat> ooh, they let him cook. He's gonna mm. cook. Mm-hmm. 
So for me, I say it every episode, they have a weak run defense. We have to run the ball effectively, not only to gash that defense, but to slow their amazing pass rush down. Because we saw last year, JT, Tua, Malua, literally won the game. And I think it was four plays mm-hmm. he won the game. And it will also give Alex some time, get him comfortable playing in that atmosphere and playing against the toughest defense he's faced in his life so far. So like I mentioned before, they've given up over 100 yards to teams over their past three games. So I think it's going to take all of Singleton's home run ability, Allen's vision and power, and Potts's vision and power as well to crack that code. And speaking of their quarterback, McCord, I think that's my second key to the game. We have to absolutely rattle him. And I love that you mentioned their offensive tackles are weak because that helps so much because if we get him to the turf early, he's going to start second-guessing his throws and those reads. My prediction on the uh, Penn State jerseys, Instagram Live, the 60-burger against uh, Massachusetts came true. Thanks for having us on, by the way. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. So I'm going with McCord after he gets sacked. He's going to be rattled. And one of those safeties, Jalen Reeds, Key Wheatley, Keaton Ellis, Kevin Winston Jr. are going to get a pick this week. Love that. And then anything for Ohio State that really stands out as a mismatch against us? Because I know there's some. Yeah, I think I think you mentioned probably first and foremost their their D line is is pretty incredible with JT. Be interesting to see because where he typically plays is on the right side of the line, which would pin him up against Olu. So be interesting to see if. Jim Knowles elects to flip him and have him match up against Caden Wallace, which would be a big test for Caden. So that will be something that's interesting to watch. I think for their secondary, it's it's pretty close to Penn State. Obviously, for us, lockdown you, best in the business. We got an incredibly deep secondary, ton of young guys. Ohio State's definitely got something to write home about as well with Denzel Burke, who's been banged up was banged up last week against Purdue, but another one where we'll see how he holds up at, as a game-time decision, but he's expected to play. He'll likely be matched up against against Keandre. So for me, not really the concern of Lambert Smith being totally shut down. That'll definitely be a tough matchup. But as we mentioned week after week, and even more so here, is that the need for – not necessarily one guy to step up, but ensuring that we're able to get production from those other guys. So you talked about the tight ends, which we saw saw last week. For me, as a bold prediction, I am anticipating or I would expect one of Warren or Theo to have another to have a two touchdown game in this one. I think Ooh, I like it. Okay. I, I like think it. they they got it rolling last week. Theo 
Another one kind of like Saunders with Daquan Hardy where he saw what Tyler Warren was doing, and Theo kind of had his little coming out party where he had two touchdowns. He had a big game, a nice hurdle into the end zone. So I think one of those two guys, Warren's always been clutch in these big moments. So with him staying healthy this year, knock on every piece of wood you got, but I Mm -hmm. think him, he's been huge. So I expect one of those two guys or – Hell, both of them to continue to to step up and shine in big moments, and then looking for one or two of those other guys. So mentioned Harrison Wallace coming or Trey Wallace coming back last week. Liam Clifford's been solid. Kane Sauters has gotten a lot of burn. Uh, Mari Evans haven't really seen Malik McLean, but some combination of that grouping along with the tight ends is going to be is going to be huge because Denzel because Lambert Smith's going to have his his hands full with Denzel Burke. Not to say that Lambert Smith isn't good enough to still get open and, and make an impact, but it's definitely going to be a need for those other guys to step up. Yeah, especially if Denzel Burks banged up, might help mm-hmm. Lambert Smith a little bit, but his his route running is just is unreal. Yeah. His, his deep route running is could use some work, but he, he can get open underneath whenever he wants. It's just a matter of, you know, how many yards we're getting after it. But I love that tight end production. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see Trey Walls, Liam Clifford, Caden Saunders, Amari Evans, some young guys against, yeah, like you said, at this type of secondary. Very, very daunting task. But, you know, we recruited these guys for a reason. So let's see yeah. what they can do. My mismatch on the Ohio State side is going to be defensive tackle Marvin Hall Jr. against our banged-up interior offensive line. You heard, if you watched the game on the broadcast, uh, Big Ion's name, which is never good if you're an offensive lineman. If you hear your name called during a game, not a good sign. You want to be silent. So he will probably get the assignment of Michael Hall Jr., who's tied for 15th, excuse me, in the Big Ten with 16 total pressures this season. And on top of that, JT, I'm just going to call him JT, edge rusher. He's number six in the Big Ten with 20. And to put that into context, Adisa Isaac has 19, which leads Penn State. So, Marvin Hall Jr., we need to star him, basically, every time, every offensive set, because the fastest way to destroy a play is straight over the ball. And he's going to be lined up straight over the ball over sort of a patchwork group of interior linemen. So with that being said, I'll give my prediction first. I, I think this defense is too good. I think this defense is playing way too well. Ohio State's offense is obviously a powerhouse. I think Kyle McCord is going to get some passes. Some of the passes I saw were for dimes. He's going to get some passes in, but I think that edge pressure is going to get to him. Is it going to rattle him? 
our defense is going to win this game. I think it's going to be 24-17 Lions. Woo! Let's go. For me, I think I think it's definitely going to be a defensive battle. I think it's going to be a little bit more higher scoring. Then we'll get into the bonanza. Wait, defensive battle, but higher scoring. I know folks are saying that this will be a defensive battle. Uh, I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring. Okay. okay. I would, I would, I would I sorry, rephrase that. Let me, that didn't make much, much sense. Uh, I would say I would lean towards the over on this one, but I do think that the defense is going to make big time plays. There we go. This defense is way too good to give up another 44 spot like they did last year. Like this new and improved defense year two under Manny Diaz is going to show why they're the best in the country. So I, I think a final score of Lions 28, Bucks 21 would be my prediction. So again, hitting that over, but I think there's going to be a lot of key moments here where they come up in big time spots. I think this is the year they get it done, get the win in the shoe. And we're going to have highlights for years to come that are going to be more memorable. Not that we don't love the Saquon kick return in Columbus to silence the crowd out the gate. And a number of other highlights, the KJ Hamler. Uh, you have Scamper against Ohio State off the, off the catch and run. But these will be more memorable because there will be highlights that we're getting in a win. So last one that we truly had that was from a win was the Grant Haley scoop and score. But we need some new highlights that come from a win against Ohio State, and this is the year that it gets done. I think Drew goes back to his home, close to his hometown, and continues to protect the Rock. They manage the time of possession as they have all year. And really for me in this coaching staff is don't shy away from the big moments, when you have those opportunities, go for it on fourth and short. They're 11 for 12 this year on fourth down. Yeah. And a lot of those, you know, are beloved push, Eagles push, get a lot of, a lot of, you know, fame with the tush push, the brotherly shove. Penn State's executing it pretty damn well as well with yeah. when you have a big, a big body quarterback. Every so when fourth you have those one, opportunities, go for it. Yes. Don't shy away because it's Ohio State and you want to protect yourself. Be aggressive as they have all year. Manage the clock. Like you mentioned, Matt, with the run game, that's going to attribute to that. And keep the ball out of Ohio State's hands. That's how you're going to win this game. We're down that defense. And like I said, they get it done this year, no doubt. Stop the run, get to McCord. I think we win this game. Mm -hmm. So we mentioned it a bit earlier in the podcast. I had a dud (laughs) and betting bonanza. Ooh for three. That was about a curse. Dave three zero points versus Dave three and oh three points. You didn't have any bonuses. All right. So that changes things up in the standings as I came back to tie it. Now back down, which is exactly where I want to be. Love being the underdog. Time for Big Ten betting bonanza week. It 
is the Big Ten betting bonanza. And we had absolute flip-flop weeks. I'm going to go through mine real quick because I went 0-3. Rutgers, minus 7. Did have a comeback, one by three points. Michigan flipping the script on me. I had them first half minus 20 and a half. They were up 21-7, I believe. And then Maryland, I think it was minus 14 against Illinois. Wall straight up. 0-3, zero points. Brings me to 9-12 and 12 on the year, below 500. Nine points. Exactly where I want to be this time of year. Exactly where I want to be. Dave. A 3-0 and spot last week. Penn State. Cover Kings. Minus 41.5 against UMass. Michigan. Pulling off their cover. 33 points. And then the under. 50.5. And Ohio State, Purdue, Purdue could not. Just barely. Purdue could not move the ball for anything. I'd, I think I said they didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. It was garbage time. So a 3-0 and week, that's plus three bonanza points. Dave is 12-9 and nine on the year with 16 bonanza points. So 16-9. to nine. I need to start betting smart, but taking some home run shots. And with that throbbing last week, you can go first pick, sir. With me going first. Sorry if this was on your board, but I got to steal it. Right out the gate. Cover Kings. Moved 7-0. and Penn State money line at plus 162. Don't even need the four and a half. They win this one outright. Give me the Lions all day long. A lot of money to be had here, folks. Jump all over it before that line moves anymore. Nits money line all day. Yep, you're going to continue to break my heart. Um, I'm going Wisconsin on the road against Illinois. Illinois gives up 164.1 rushing yards per game. And at home, 151.3. Wisconsin is 11-2 straight up against Illinois. 8-5 against the spread since 2008. The away team has covered the last four. Give me Wisconsin minus two and a half. Mm. That was a struggle to get out, but boom, Wisconsin minus two and a half. All right. For my second pick, talked about it earlier, about Rutgers sitting pretty, five and two. You think they're going to go eight and four? I think it's going to be downward spiral. And let me tell you something, man. That down, downward spiral starts this weekend. Wow. At Memorial Stadium, Tom Allen's Hoosiers are not going down easy this year. They're having a rough year. 
But they catch those Scarlet Knights snoozing with that 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff. Or sorry, no, I believe Indiana's Eastern Time zone, so it's still noon. But still, sleepy, sleepy start, quiet crowd mm, on the Scarlet road. Scarlet Knights, they get off to a slow start and they go down to the Hoosiers. Give me the Hoosiers money line plus one seventy six at home against Scarlet Knights. And that spreads. That would be it's Rutgers minus five. I believe it's five. Me. Okay. So. Given what I saw last week, I am going to go with Indiana. First half money line plus 140. I'm thinking first half money line plus 140. Talked about Rutgers slow start last week. I think they have another slow start. Was a little hype on Wimsat last week. He was kind of shaky. I think he's going to continue to decline a little bit. Indiana's on the up. Give me first half money line plus 140, which counters your plus story, right? Mm-hmm. Let's go. All right, my final pick. I am going with our beloved Hawkeyes, who continue to set the bar lower and lower when it comes to point totals. It's sitting pretty at 31 and a half against the Golden Gophers at Minnesota. Minnesota. And because when you see that number, constantly I think to myself, there's no way they don't hit that over. Well, I'm done thinking that. And I'm a firm believer that they will continue to set the bar lower. Give me the under 31 and a half. There's going to, yeah, if that goes under, there's going to be some crazy plays. Can't wait for you to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, two punts on one play. For my last pick, I'm going to the swamp. We've been talking about it for so long that I feel like I know it. I feel like I'm part, I feel like I'm swamp creature. I'm part of the swamp. So I'm going to Northwestern at Nebraska. So since joining the Big Ten in 2012, Nebraska is six and five straight up, but four and seven against the spread against Northwestern. And one and three against the spread in their last four. The spread's minus 11 and a half. I think that's way, way too many points. I'm taking Northwestern plus 11 and a half there. Mm. Dig it. You know what? I just looked at their money line. It's plus 330. Is that a plus seven? That's a plus seven. Give me the money line, baby. Ooh! Northwestern upsetting Nebraska. Big dogs are coming out. Coming out firing this week. I love it. I have to. I got to get back in this. (laughs) And I'm picking, and I'm going with Northwestern. What am I doing? (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for week 
was a big ten betting bonanza. Once again, thank you all for participating in our white out game ball giveaway. Congratulations to the winner. And thank you to everyone else who has liked, subscribed, followed our content. We truly appreciate each and every one of you. We love doing this. We're going to do it until the wheels fall off, as I always say. And we will see you next week after an incredible Penn State upset. That's right, baby. Thanks, guys. Go Lions. Peace.